0: Praise the Lord, amen, for the blood of Jesus, all right? Wow. Thanks, Brother Kevin, for that. Well, it's good to be here tonight and good to be here at our sending church. And I just want to thank Pastor for the privilege to uh, preach and to report and to stand behind this pulpit. Always take it a great honor and privilege. And so thanks, Pastor, for the opportunity. i also like to thank you, church. Since we got back in June... Um, many people came to us and said that they pray for us every day. And it's awesome. It's good to know people are thinking about you, praying about you. And just want to thank you, church, for having our backs, supporting us, praying for us. So thankful for that. I want to say thank you to our sending team. Uh, They've been a huge help while we were there on the first term, and then also since we've been back, just such a blessing. And and I'm so thankful that uh, we have that program here at Southwest, where we have sending teams for each missionary. It is truly a big help while we're there. We arrived back in furlough in June, on June 13th. And uh, so it's been, it'll be six months next week to the date when we leave, and um, we didn't realize how much we needed to come back to Southwest to be home to see family and friends, and so I'm thankful that uh, the Lord allowed it, and thanks for thankful for Brother Gaddis in, uh, in in direction and encouraging us that way. And one of the reasons we came back to the states was to raise additional support, and I'm glad to say uh, we started traveling in August, and after about 11,000 miles. And uh, we've had five new churches take us on for support and two potentially taking us on. And then we have three uh, churches that already support us that have increased our support. And then some individuals who even committed to give to us. And so I want to praise the Lord that we're able to raise the support that we need. I'm thankful for that. Like I said, we'll be returning next Wednesday morning. We'll fly out of Dallas-Fort Worth. And we'll fly 15 and a half hours straight to Seoul, Korea. Then we'll have a two and a half hour layover in Seoul and then a four and a half hour flight to Cebu, Philippines. And then a nine hour layover and then another hour flight to Dipolong, so, uh, where we live. So uh, 30, about a 33 hour trip total. So if you would, please pray for us. I got a seven year old, a five year old and a three year old. And I, I'm telling you what. It's only by God's grace we can make it, I'm telling you. Sitting on a plane for 15 and a half hours, that would drive anybody crazy. Tonight I'm going to do something a little bit different, something I've never done before. And one of those things is to preach two chapters. And don't worry, I'll get you out before midnight, I promise that. That is a guaranteed, no, I'm just joking. But I will be preaching two chapters and uh, I'm, I'm hoping the Lord will bless um, and then also I'm going to do something a little different in the, in the message. I'm going to show some pictures of where we lived and, uh, and, and tell some stories about what God has done in the last two years. And, and to be honest with you, I hesitated on even telling these stories because I didn't want to come across as being all about us or being about what we did. But in fact, I, I, the, the reason I want to tell these stories is to highlight what God did. And so when we first um, knew we were come back to the States, I began to pray and ask the Lord to show me what to preach, if Brother Gaddis were to ask me to preach here. And so back in May, or April, May, the Lord laid Acts chapters 13 and chapter 14 on my heart. And so I began studying those, and specifically the Lord draw me to Acts chapter 14, verse number 27. And so in this message, I'll be telling you stories of what God has done And so in order to be clear about my motives for this message, I'd like to tell you up front what we're going to do, what's going to happen. And I have four desired outcomes for this message, and I just want to be as clear as possible why I'm going to do it this way. Desired outcome number one would be that through the stories, you'd see what God has done and not what we've done. Desired outcome number two, by telling you these stories and showing you these pictures, I hope that it will help you to see how life on the mission field is and maybe help you pray for us, but then also for missionaries in general. Desired outcome number three, I want to give you our vision for this next term. Tell you our plans, what we believe that God wants to do. And then desired outcome number four, I want to encourage those who may be struggling with, do, with what God wants you to do. And maybe it would encourage you and give you the confidence to do whatever he wants you to do through this message tonight. Specifically, what I've been praying for is that God would call more missionaries to the Philippines. So with that being said, let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter number 13. Let's all stand. Acts chapter number 13. We're not going to be reading both chapters tonight. We're going to read a few verses. So Acts chapter number 13. Now in these two chapters, you find the first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas. And the things that they went to, the perils that they endured, the persecutions, but also the great victories that they experienced. And so if you would, Acts chapter 13, we're going to read the first four verses. If you're there, say amen. Amen. Follow along as I read. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch, certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manaen, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul which would be Paul. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted the Holy Ghost said separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed from Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. Now in verses 5 all the way to chapter 14, verse number 20, you'd find what happened during that trip. Right and the different places that they went to. So let's go down to chapter 14, verse number 21. They're ending their missionary journey, and this is what happens. Chapter 14 and verse number 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city, talking about the city of Derby, and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch. And this is not the same Antioch where their church, their Sunday church is, this is a different one. And when they returned to those cities, this is what they did. they they, Confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. And that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting and commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. And after they had passed through Presidia, they came to Pamphylia And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Ataliah, and thence sailed to Antioch, where they originally started their journey. Antioch. From thence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. And when they were come, and had gathered the church together, this is the main point, or the main thrust of the message is here, they rehearsed. All that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And there they abode long time with the disciples. Tonight, I'd like to bring a message entitled This Look at what God has done. Look at what God has done. Let's pray one more time tonight and ask for help. Father, I come before you again and I ask you to bless. Lord, I can't do this on my own. I need your help. I pray that this message would be a help to those who may be struggling, but also an encouragement, Lord, really to highlight what you've done. Please bless the next few moments. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much for standing. You may be seated. Over the centuries, there have been many great missionaries that, have, that God has used to bring the gospel to different lands. Missionaries that we read about, like William Carey to India, who is now known as the father of modern missions. Think about David Livingston, who was in Africa, and Adoniram Judson, who served in Burma or Myanmar. Hudson Taylor in China and Francis Mason in Burma and David Brainerd to the Native Americans. And we can read books about all that they had done and how they impacted those countries for Christ and how they brought the gospel to those who have never heard. But it's not just those missionaries of old. I think of even more modern missionaries like Bob Hughes in the Philippines like a Don Sisk, who has the started and, and, and planted and has the largest Baptist church in Japan. Like a J.B. Godfrey, who served in the, in the villages of Africa. I mean, God had used these men's to have a great impact in the countries that they were called to. And when you hear like names like this, I mean, I, I just can't, I can't uh, help it but stop and, and think of the many ways that God had used them and, and how that many people heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and believed it because of these men. I've been reading, rereading the book about Bob Hughes and Pastor mentioned it a few weeks ago. And I didn't realize until I read that book that many of the ways that we minister in the Philippines, we do that because Bob Hughes did it back in the 1970s. You talk about a man who had a great impact on the, in the Philippines, that was Bob Hughes. Bob Hughes. One of the ways and ways of ministry that we uh, we do there is, is, is we don't have bus routes. And so Bob Hughes decided that if we can't have buses, we'll just hire the jeepneys and the drivers that go around and pick up people on their routes. We'll just hire them for a few hours to come pick up the people, take them to church, go do their routes. And when church is over, come back, pick up, pick up the people and take them back to their homes. And we do that even until this day. Never knew that before. never knew he started it until I read that book. Another thing that we do on Saturday mornings, we have what's called extension classes. And that's when we go out into the little neighborhoods and we would bring, a, you know, a guitar or whatever. And, and we would gather the children together and we would teach them songs about how Jesus loves them. And we teach them Bible stories from the beginning, how God created them. And how he died say, I never knew. Bob's the one that did that. He started that. And his mindset was, if we can't bring them all to church, we'll go to where they are. It's awesome. Bob Hughes had a, a radio ministry that he did. And the program was called What the Bible Says. And that, that radio ministry has reached hundreds, if not thousands of people. With the gospel, and they built a huge auditorium where they could have 3,000 people in the auditorium and then 2,000 kids in the basement. And this past March, I was able to go and, and visit uh, that church. And, and in the front of the church if we have it up here on the screen they have the Bible there on the front of the building. I mean, beautiful building, and the, what it says is what the Bible says. And the city that church is started is in Cebu City. It's a Catholic stronghold of the Philippines. But God used a man to break through the strongholds and start one of the biggest churches in the Philippines. And that symbol right there of the Bible and what the Bible says is becoming really iconic in independent Baptists all around the Philippines. Bob Hughes had a lasting impact in the Philippines. But you know what? There's someone else that I would say even had a greater impact, and that was the Apostle Paul. I mean, God used Paul. I mean, his life literally changed the world. And we, friends, are direct beneficiaries of what, how God used Paul. Because God used Paul to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And we stand before here a Gentile church. Wow. You talk about a man who had an impact. His ministry impacted the entire world. And that's what happened on Paul's first missionary journey. In, in chapter 14, the r- verses that we just read, I'd I like, I, I mean, I wish I was there. We had the church of Antioch, his sending church, and, and they just finished their missionary journey, and he gathers the church together. And I'd like to think that was maybe a church service, kind of like what's happened tonight. And he gathers him and Barnabas, uh, gather all the people together. And he begins to tell them, it says that he rehearsed all that God had done. And now that he had opened the door to the Gentiles. I wish I was there to hear him, when, him and Paul, uh, when Paul and Barnabas stood up before the church and told them about the time when they were at the city in Pathos on the, on the island of Cyprus. And there they were preaching the gospel and there was this sorcerer named Bar-Jesus who, who wanted to uh, uh, um, uh, turn away the governor of that town named Sergius Paulus from hearing the faith. But but Paul, being filled by the Holy Spirit, confronted that man and literally told him, you child of the devil, you enemy of righteousness. And he caused Bar-Jesus to be blind for a season and he had to walk with someone guiding him. And because of that, Sergius Paulus, the governor of that place, saw what Paul did. And the Bible says that he believed and was astonished at the doctrine of God. Man, I wish I was there when I heard Paul and Barnabas talk about when they went to Antioch, which is in Pisidia, and they went to the the synagogue and they preached the gospel to the Jews. But you know what? The Jews really didn't care. The Bible says that after Paul had preached, they just all went home. Nothing happened. But then the Gentiles were hungry to hear what Paul had said. And they told him, said, Paul, will you please preach again on the next Sabbath day? Will you please preach what you preach to them to us? And the Bible says that almost the whole city had gathered to hear what Paul had to say. And you know what? The Jews weren't happy about that. They were envious because you know what? Whenever the gospel uh, um, uh, begins to spread, there's always resistance. And so the Jews, they were envious of the crowds that had come to gather to hear Paul's message. And so they began to contradict Paul and they began to blaspheme what he had to say. And Paul said, you know what? We came to you first. We preached to you first, but you didn't care. And so we're going to the Gentiles. And the Bible says that the Gentiles in Antioch, they were glad, they were happy, and they believed. And the gospel was spread all throughout the region. Wow. Wow. But the Jews, those who rejected him, they stirred up so much tension that they cast Paul and Barnabas out of Antioch. And Paul and Barnabas shook off the dust of their feet and said, okay, we're going to Iconium. And they go to Iconium and they preach the gospel. And the Bible says that many of Jews and Greeks believed the gospel. So much so that this, half the city was divided. Half of them believed Paul and Barnabas, and half the others rejected. They, un, they were unbelieving Jews. And there was so much tension in Iconium that they finally decided, we're going to kill Paul and Barnabas for all that they've done. And they've heard uh, what the plan was and the plot that was taking place. And so God uh, warned them, and, and they escaped Iconium, and they went to Lystra. And in Lystra, they go there, and, and and they begin to preach. And Paul sees a man who was crippled; and from from birth, he was crippled. And Paul, the Bible says that Paul saw that there was faith in this man, and so he heals this man. And when the people of Lystra saw that, they were amazed. And they began to say, these are gods that have descended into the likeness of men. And, and so they, they, they begin to uh, uh, um, start to get the cattle ready to offer sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas. But Paul and Barnabas stopped them and said, you know what? We're just ordinary men just like you. But let me tell you of, of, of someone who's not ordinary, let me tell you about the true God. Amen. And they preached the gospel in Lystra. But whenever the gospel spreads, there's always resistance. And the unbelieving Jews who were in Antioch and Iconium, they come to Lystra and they turn the people's heart against Paul and they stone Paul and they cast him out of the city, thinking that he was dead. Oh, but friends, he wasn't dead. The disciples came and he stood up and the next day they go to Derby and they preach the gospel again. And after they go to Derby, they could have just went straight to Antioch. It would have been just an easy trip. But no, they would have risked their lives again and go back to Lystra and then go back to Iconium and go back to Antioch doing what? Um, unconfirming the souls of those disciples who had believed, establishing pastors in those churches, fasting and praying with those people. I mean, I wish I was there to, see, to hear all that Paul and Barnabas said to the church and all that God had done with them. I like what uh, John Phillips says. Let me, let me give you a quote here. It's really good. John Phillips said this, what a, mission, what a missionary meeting that must have been. What Paul left out, Barnabas filled in. On Cyprus, confounding the magician and converting the magistrate. On Perga, the loss of Mark and the lure of the mountains. At at Pisidian Antioch, the Jewish blasphemy and the Gentile belief. At Iconium, the multiplied conversion and the malicious contention. At Lystra, the deification and death. At Derbe, more souls and more goals. the homeward way, skirting perils, selecting pastors. Thus, the story unfolded, showing the decisions, the difficulties, the dangers of pioneer work on the mission field and how to deal with them all. I mean, what a missionary gathering that must have been. But one thing I noticed, and one thing I, a question that came to mind when I began studying these two passages and seeing the great victories, I mean, cities hearing the gospel, multitudes of people getting saved. A question came to my mind, and the question was this How were they so successful in fulfilling the work that God had for them? In verse number 26, it says that they returned to Antioch, where they were re- recommended to the grace of God for the work which they had fulfilled. In other words, mission accomplished. But God, the work in, in chapter 13, where the Holy Ghost says, separate me, Paul and Barnabas and Saul for the work where I, until I have called them that work in chapter number 14, it says that they fulfilled it. They, they accomplished it. And so my question that came to my mind, well, how were they so successful in fulfilling what God had for them? How were they able to see so many people come to know Jesus Christ? Uh, How did they escape the perils and and escape the plots of stoning? How how did Paul not die there in Lystra? And and what what I came to realize really is the key in verse number 27. is that Paul and Barnabas, when they returned, they didn't tell them what they had done. They didn't rehearse about what they had done. No, no, the Bible says that they rehearsed all that God had done. And so the key here, friends, is this. You can be successful, and Paul and Barnabas were successful in fulfilling the work that they were called to, not because of who they were and what they could do, but because who God is and what he can do. It was God the one that did it all. God's the one that caused Bar-Jesus to be blind. God's the one that gave them the opportunity to preach to Sergius Paulus. God's the one that gave them the audience of Gentiles there in Antioch. God's the one that gave them the fruit there in Icodium and in Lystra and in Derby. God did all that. And so I begin to think, well, if God did that for them, if God's the secret, or he's a secret, he's not really a secret, if God's the key... And if he did it for them, well, won't he do it for me? Amen. That's good. And so the, the, the way that we can fulfill the work that God has called us to is not because of who I am or because of who we are and the abilities that we have and talents that we have and oratory skills that we have. No, the reason why we can be successful in fulfilling the work that God has called us to do is because who he is and what he can do. Why was Paul, uh, Bob Hughes so successful there in Cebu? Why was he so successful in, in, a, in a Catholic stronghold city building one of the largest churches in the Philippines? Well, it wasn't because of who Bob Hughes was. He was just a little boy from Center, Texas. But it's because of the God that Bob Hughes served. Amen. And friends, I just want to clear a spot here. I'm really passionate about this. The Lord's really working on my heart. I can't help but think. God hasn't stopped calling missionaries. He hasn't. The Great Commission's still there. Unfortunately, I think this is the problem. We're not listening. Or if we are listening, we're too scared to step out on faith. And sometimes we can put all the pressure on ourselves. And you might say, Brother Stephen, you don't know who I am. You don't know the weaknesses that I have. You don't know the, the lack of abilities that I have. Well, you know what, friend? I don't care because the secret isn't about what you have. It's all because of the God that you have. God does the work. We're just along for the ride, friends. And so I'd like to encourage you may, and surely a, an audience of this size, God's got to be speaking to someone's heart. That's right. That's good. And friends, I'll be honest with you. When God first called me, I was fearful. I didn't think I could preach. I can't stand before people. I can't pastor a church and start a church. But then I realized God showed me in his word, friend. Stephen, it's not about who you are. It's all about who I am. And if you'll just be willing, will you just trust me and I'll show you great things that I can do through you? When we first got there in the Philippines back in December 2021, we, we loaded up. We said goodbye there we are, 3 a.m. at the Oklahoma City airport. Pastor was there, he's the one taking a picture, I think. Sending team, family, said goodbye. <laughs> Packed up everything we had. I will never do that again, by the way. No, no, never, never. But what's amazing, we had a layover in Hawaii that night the next morning, I'm thinking, how am I going to take everything? And lo and behold, there's a Filipino guy at the airport. And he, God sends him to help us with our luggage. Whoa. Man, awesome. When we arrived in the Philippines, we moved to a little town, about 40,000, 50,000 people. In, the, in Salug Valley, it was called Mulabi. And it was just, Salug Valley is, is really the rice-filled capital of the Philippines. It's just... Uh, a valley of rice fields with little cities, little towns. And so you can imagine it was quite the adjustment going from Oklahoma City to something like that. But God's, there's grace there. We were able to find three little apartments one was our kitchen and schoolroom, the other one was our bedrooms and living room, the other one was my office and a spare bedroom. was nine feet wide, the living room was, and maybe about 25 feet long. But you know what? We were happy. (laughs) It was an adjustment. God stretched us, but it was awesome. We look back with the precious memories. We worked alongside Bruce Rice, his wife Jeannie, and daughter Emily. They've been missionaries in the Philippines since 1986. This is their third church plant that they've done, and this is About an eight year old church called Saluk Valley Baptist Church. And there we helped minister in whatever way we could. I was able to preach one night. And the amazing thing at Bolabi, at Saluk Valley Baptist Church, is we got to see really missions come full circle. Because in June of 2022, Brother Rice resigned as pastor of Saluk Valley Baptist Church and the assistant pastor became pastor, and they are a self-supporting, self-propagating, independent Baptist church there in Malawi. And, and, and to top things off, they even have a missionary on deputation going to Cambodia. And so American missionary went all the way to the Philippines to a little town in the middle of rice fields and started evangelizing the lost. People started getting saved. God worked a great work where now there's a church of about 120 people. And now that little town of, of, of Molavi in the middle of rice field has, has a missionary going to Cambodia to reach the 1040 window for Christ. Man, that's awesome. That was awesome. Here's another picture of the church there. Precious people. Wish I could tell you stories. You'll enjoy this while we were there in Malawi. For the, after about three months, we finally got a vehicle. <laughs> and that's one of the funnest vehicles I've ever driven. Now, when I first got, it, I, I got the. We were so happy. I got the family, and we, we drove around town just to drive. And people laughed at us. I mean, you imagine a six foot five man fitting into one of those. It was quite comical. You know, I get out, and all of a sudden, I'm bigger than the whole thing. But I, that was awesome. We 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 enjoyed it. That was fun. This is Brother Rice, his wife, their daughter Emily. She's Filipino. She's adopted. And this is Pastor Luper Asenda and his family. He's the pastor. Pastor Luper is Subanun. He's from the Subanun tribe up in the mountains. And he came down to the city to find work at age 21, I believe. And just so happened that he got a job across the street from where we were meeting. I remember seeing him as a little kid. And somebody invited him to church and he got saved. And three months later, he enrolled in Bible college. And he graduated in 2005, been working in ministry, and now he's pastor in a church. Wow. After our time there in Malawi, we we moved north with the Rices to a church that that Brother Rice and my dad had started back in 2001 called Westside Baptist Church. And we moved there in June of this year. Oh, no, June of last year. And this is the church here. We were able to get involved and got involved into the Bible college. These are Bible college students last year, some faculty and staff. And one of the neatest things, I taught four to five classes of Bible college, but one of the classes I'll never forget is being able to preach basic homiletics to these guys and seeing them stand up after class and take the word of God and not preach their opinions but no, no, preach the Word of God. It was awesome. We celebrated 20 years of that church in November of last year. It was awesome. While we were at Polo, I want to tell you a couple stories. We, uh, when we were moving, we needed a house. We were in, in three apartments there in Malawi, and we had to move, and we needed a house. and Finding a house in the Philippines is a lot different than finding a house here. You, You can't just go online and look to see what's around. What we had to do was choose one part of the city and drive down every single street, looking for a house that looked abandoned or unoccupied. Ask the neighbors if they knew who the owner was. Try to get a number. And so as you can tell, it took a long time. For two months we were looking and couldn't find anything that could fit our needs. And to make a long story short, we had our lease was going to end and five days before our lease ended, the Lord dropped a house. Five minute walk right down from the church. I mean, it had everything that we needed. While I was there, I was able to travel around and this is a picture of preaching a youth camp. And I can't remember the number, but I believe it was 20 plus people surrendered their lives to be in the full-time Christian service because of that youth camp. A lady came up to me, a young lady came up to me afterwards and said, Brother Stephen, I wanted to let you know that I surrendered my life to be a missionary this week. Awesome. We're Went around to different places. This is a picture of a church up in the mountains near the Muslim area. And me and Brother Rice went up there and To be honest with you, I was scared out of my mind the whole time going up there because we were going into deep Muslim territory and I just knew, headline, six foot five American gets kidnapped by Muslim terrorist group. I I knew it was coming, right? I knew it was coming. But I was able, one of the men took me up to one of the mountain churches there and this little town is called Thailand. (laughs) Thailand, so I've preached in Thailand before. I went there and it was a unique way the town was. The, the road divided the, the town. And everybody on the right side were Muslim. And everybody on the left side were Christian. It was interesting. It was at, not this church, but in the same area I preached. And it was the first time I ever preached at a church where there was a dog laying right beside the pulpit. <laughs> Never experienced that before. Another dog laying there in the aisle. But it was a packed out church and, and, and this church and that church it was the first time they've ever seen a white man. And so they were real, you know, they were tuned into the message. They wanted to see what this white man had to say. And I preached the gospel and at that other church where the dogs were Four people accepted Jesus Christ as their savior. It was awesome. This is another mountain church we were able to go to. I mean, God is doing an amazing work in the Philippines, friends. Are we okay? A few more. This picture. I wrote about this man. And Brother Larry wrote, wrote, uh, read the letter that I wrote here in church on a Wednesday night. That's old Rico. Man who can't hear except for a little bit in his ear. Gave him a gospel track. He couldn't sleep for a whole week. Came back to his church. Come to find out. His sister goes to our church, been going to our church for years, was able to lead him to Christ in his living room. I had to lean over in his ear and yell into his ear all the verses. I'm telling you, it was interesting. But he bowed his head and accepted Jesus Christ at 86 years old. He has an enlarged heart. He has severe diabetes in his feet, sores and cuts, swollen. But he wanted to be baptized. And so he came to church and he brought his daughter with him. And he was so excited at age 86 to walk up that Baptist street and to let everybody know that he's saved. It was awesome. One more story, then then we'll almost be done. About a month before we left, there was a a man in the church. His aunt had passed away. And funerals in the Philippines are a little bit different than funerals here. When someone dies there, they take the body, they embalm it, they put it in the casket and they bring it back to the house and it stays in the living room for about a week. And every single night they'll have services and family and friends from all over the Philippines will come. And usually the Catholic priests will come and will pray over the dead. And it's also a wicked time. They'll be gambling and drinking Every night for about a week. Well, the man in our church, he, he wanted us to come. So every night the, the priest would come and have a service. Then he would leave and then we'd come and have a service. And so we had a service every single night. And, and it, was a, it was in a different area of the town. I wasn't assigned to that area. So another staff guy did those meetings. But Saturday morning comes and we're getting ready to go out and do extension classes. And the staff guy comes up to me and says, Hey, can you preach this the funeral tonight? I'm thinking, I didn't tell him this, but to be honest, transparent, I was upset. I said, you're just now asking me to preach the service this tonight. And we got a whole day of scheduled activities. And I mean, I, I need time to study. But nonetheless, I, I said, sure. And so we, we, we went about our day and, and we did what we did. And I came home real quick in the afternoon and just kind of threw something together. And I said, Lord, I don't know what's going to happen. You're just going to have to bless this. And so we went to the service and, and the, the Catholic service had gone long. So we were waiting outside and when they had finished, we, we went in to the house and, and the Catholic service, the house was packed, but then when that you know, was done, we went in and everybody left and they were all outside talking and stuff. So I was like, well, great. No one's even gonna hear this message. But I got up to preach. I didn't notice that there was a little old lady there in the left side of the the house sitting by one of our Bible college students. And I began to preach about Lazarus and the rich man and how that in life they had nothing in common. One was rich in luxurious life. One was poor and suffered. But even though they had nothing in common in life, they both experienced something and that was death. And I preached the gospel. And I preached it loud enough so that the people outside could hear too. <laughs> no microphone, don't no matter. We're going to preach as loud as we can. During the invitation, I didn't know this, but that lady, she had a rosary bead on her wrist. And as I gave the invitation to, um, or, or while I was preaching rather, sorry, while I was preaching, the lady leaned over to the Bible call student. She was sitting by and she grabbed her rosary bead and she said, I guess I don't need this anymore. <laughs> it's awesome. And then later on, she leaned over and she said, I guess I need to become a Baptist. <laughs> I didn't tell her that, but, but I gave the invitation and no one responded. And earlier before the service, Brother, uh, the, the, the staff guy came to me and told me that, that all week no one had Received Christ, and that's unusual, because usually in funerals everybody's thinking about death and their hearts are open, but that whole week no one did. And so I was about to close the invitation, but I felt like I should ask one more time, and so I did. And that little old lady raised her hand for salvation, but not just her; five other people outside raised their hand for salvation. The next day, she came to church. And another lady who was outside came to church. And that lady who, the, the little lady, uh, she was from an, another island, so we gave her contact information of a Baptist church there. But this other lady who came to church, I actually never met her. And during youth conference here at Southwest, at, at Heartland, I got a text from the pastor there at the church in, in the Philippines, and he texted and he said, Stephen, do you remember that funeral that you preached? I said, yeah. He said, you remember that lady who came to church? And, and I said, yes. And, He said, well, I went to her house today and and they've been coming to church every single Sunday after that. And I went to her house and I led her to Jesus Christ today. But not just her, I led her husband to the Lord as well. And they've been coming to church every single Sunday since then. Friends, I'm telling you this not to lift me up because, friends, I had bad attitudes. I was. It's not me. It's all him. He can use a sermon that's just thrown together and he can bless it if he desires to. He can take your bad attitude and, and use you despite of you. Amen. Our plan when we return is to go 200 miles to the east on Mindanao to the town of the Golawan. I believe that's where God wants us to go and start a church. The Golowan is a town of about 90,000 people. has a lot of history I could talk about, but don't have time. But one of the things that really drew me there was in March, they began building 25 tower units, 13 floors each. And they're expecting 60,000 people to be moving to that place within the next three years. And I believe God wants us to go there, start a church, and let the people come to us. And I can't just help but think. And my prayer, friends, is this. Lord, if you used Bob Hughes in Cebu, will you please use me in Golowan? Lord, the way you used Brother Williams there in Peru, will you please do the same there in Golowan? Because, friends, it's not about me, because if it's about me, I wouldn't go. I wouldn't go. I know me. But friends, this is, if you boil my message into this, and this is what I want you to take home is this. Knowing what God can do gives confidence to continue. Right. Knowing that the pressure's not on me, friends, that really the pressure is on God and, and honestly there's no pressure to God. He can do anything. And so friends, I ask will you please pray for us as when we return our plan is it's January. I'll start traveling there, trying to find a house, trying to find a meeting place. So you please pray. The, the Muslim activity has increased. There was a bombing Sunday of a Catholic mass that happened in a university. And that's an, a 30 miles or so from where we travel through. So I don't know how that's going to look, but God knows. And friends, we're going to look for a house, but you know what? He supplied a house there in Dipolog, the and I know he'll supply it again. He worked for Bob Hughes and built a building and, and, and led people to Christ there in Cebu. And I know that he'll do the same in the if I'll just trust him. Amen. You please pray for us. But again, I want to stop and say, maybe there's someone here that God wants you. He's called you to work because each of every one of us has a work that God wants us to do. It's not the same. Just because I'm a missionary doesn't mean all you have to be a missionary. No, there's, there's different works that God calls us to do, whether that be being a Sunday school teacher, by driving a bus route, being a bus uh, captain, teaching a Sunday school class, leading, uh, singing in a Sunday school class. I, I don't know. Uh, raising up your children to love God. God has a work for each and every one of us to do. And friends, there's just confidence to see, look what God has done before. Therefore, we can look to the future with confidence and say, by God's grace, he'll do it again. Good. So what does God want you to do? Maybe you're fearful. Oh, friends, there's confidence to the continue knowing what God can do. Just step out on faith, because he's the one in control. Honestly, we're just along for the ride. (laughs) And it's exciting to see, man, I wonder what God's going to do next. And I hope maybe three, four, five years from now, I can stand behind this pulpit again and show some more pictures of what God has done. Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. Heavenly Father, thank you for this message. Thank you, Lord, for The example of Paul and Barnabas and their faith in you and how you use them to reach the Gentiles, the Jews. And Lord, seeing what you've done for them really does give confidence to us now, knowing that you'll do the same. And so, Lord, I don't know how you use this message tonight. I don't know what people are dealing with and how you're dealing with them. But Lord, I I pray that if there's someone here that you've called to be a missionary, that they would step out on faith and that they would surrender to that call. I pray, Lord, that whatever you would have us to do, that we would be confident and that we would just do it because of who you are and what you can do. All these things I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.